And now when people approach me at a networking event or at a social and I'm asked, Brad, what do you do for a living? My answer is I'm a freedom consultant. This is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acri. And before we bring on our guest today, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already subscribed. And while you're there, drop us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We'll read that on the show. But I want to bring on our guest today. His name is Brad Blazer. This is going to be an awesome episode because Brad has raised over $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion <laughs> in capital. And today he mentors others around the world on how to raise funds from high net worth investors investors to build, buy, and scale a business or fund a special project like real estate. He's the author of three books, hosts the top-rated podcast, Beast Nation, and runs the Capital School, where you'll learn the step-by-step instructions on how to deliver your message, prepare your pitch deck, and attract the right investors, just like Brad has done over the course of his career. Brad, welcome to Stay Paid. Thanks for being here. I love it. Great. Thanks for the wonderful introduction, man. I don't know if I could do better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Brad, man, I'm excited to uh, talk to you today, you know, and get kind of a lesson on, man, how do you pitch the sharks? You know what I mean? When you're trying to get investors, how do you pitch the sharks? How do you build a brand to even get the credibility to be able to be in the room, as they say. Can you share a little bit about your your journey? Just give us the 30,000-foot view of you know, how did you get into this business of raising capital and, and your entrepreneurial story, even raising $2 billion is just an astronomical number? Tell us a little bit about Brad. Yeah, you know, I grew up like most people in your traditional, you know, middle-class family. I wasn't rich, certainly by, you know, <laughs> most people's um, wasn't poor either. You know, we were just your average family and, you know, both my parents worked. And um, the funny thing, though, is much like Robert Kiyosaki, if you ever read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I did have a very wealthy, rich uncle. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was an orphan, never had more than a sixth grade education. Wow. Lived in New York. He was responsible for kind of taking over his two sisters and kind of looking after them. But he went to work in the textile industry. And one day he was basically approached by a very uh, wealthy uh, philanthropist. And he said, Henry, I like you. I'd like to start a business with you. You work in the textile industry, an industry that I'm very interested in. I have money, you have knowledge. And so they partnered up and essentially they built what became one of the largest women's fashion lines, you know, back in the twenties, thirties, forties, they sold the company for hundreds of millions of dollars. But he, was very influential in my life. And I realized that I wanted to be more like him. (laughs) You know, the guy with the freedom, the guy that wasn't exchanging time for money. And so while I was in school studying to be an architect, which is what I really was studying for, I wanted to use the architectural skills to be a real estate developer. um, I got sidetracked. And I just responded to an ad in the local newspaper uh, there in Austin, Texas, it was to go to work for a very small oil company, and the CEO took a liking to me. I was this young, cocky, little, arrogant kid, and he said, I can teach you how to get on the phone, how to build relationships with wealthy people, and how to raise lots of money, which mm-hmm. is what they taught me how to do. And so I was working between classes uh, basically 12 to 15 hours a week, and I was making over six figures. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there going, like, what am I doing going to school to graduate with a little piece of sheepskin that qualifies me to go out in corporate America and make my 60 to 80, 
when I'm already making six figures, just working 12 to 15 hour weeks, like what could I do if I devoted myself full time doing 40 hour week? And so unbeknownst to my parents who scrimped and saved their entire life to put their son through college, I basically turned my back to school, started doing it full time, went to work for a second company doing the same thing. Unfortunately, the second company, let's just say they turned out to be somewhat unethical. Mm. And so when I retired, all of the investors that basically, uh, you know, I had cultivated turned to me and said, well, what are you going to do now that you're no longer, you know, raising capital for these guys? And I said, I, I just don't know. And so they said, well, why don't you do the same thing? And here I was, a little 23-year-old kid that knew nothing about business. Everything I was doing was over the phone. We didn't have the internet back in the mid-80s. As a little cocky kid, I printed up some business cards and letterhead, and I launched an oil company. I never drilled a well knew absolutely nothing about running a business, but I knew that I could find a CPA and an attorney and build a team. And so over the course of about 10 years, I built a pretty nice sized business, raising millions of dollars a month, teaching other people how to do this. We were drilling in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, you know, and I was just, you know, on cloud nine. Well, in the late eighties, early nineties, two things changed the landscape. One, was the Tax Reform Act of 1987, which took away all of the tax incentives. Hmm. The second basically was collapse in energy prices. And so I went back to school, uh, graduated, came out, collapsed the business because I didn't want to put my savings at risk and just realized, man, I just don't want to go to work for other people. And I remember something that my wealthy uncle said when I was about seven or eight years old. He put his hand on my shoulder, and I had what I call a revelation. It was an aha moment. But he said, Brad, if you can find out what you're really great at, like what I call your primary skill, and package that up and deliver it to the world where it helps transform people's lives, it's magical for them, and it will also be magical for you. Mm. And one day it hit me like a ton of bricks, like my something special is learning, I mean, teaching others how to raise capital. That's the one thing. I can do better than most people I've ever met. And so when I started working as a business coach, having conversations with people, I would often hear, I've got a desire to start a restaurant, or I have a desire to you know, invest in real estate, or I have a desire to scale my business and take it to a whole nother level. And I'm like, well, what's holding it back? And the funny thing is it was not the fear or the limiting beliefs people had about doing it. It was just, they lacked the capital. And so I quickly realized I could become the catalyst in helping a lot of people's dreams come true. And so, you know, today, fast forward, we've got this great global coaching business with people all over the world that we work with. We've got testimonials of students that have raised hundreds of thousands, some of them tens of millions of dollars. And it's great because I realize I'm having a positive impact. I'm changing people's lives. I'm teaching them how to go out, how to attract, how to raise, and how to close investor capital at the highest level. And so, you know, that for me is kind of my journey as it relates to from where I was as this little 20 year old kid with an oil company to $2 billion later and now teaching others all around the world 
essentially had to do exactly the same thing. Man, <clears throat> what an amazing journey. I want to get into this idea of finding the right investors and, and the things that you've, you know, obviously have learned and are teaching people uh, across the world today. But before we before we do that, you're obviously someone who has built a very powerful brand. You know, if you go to your mm -hmm. website, if you look at what you've done, you've, you've kind of grown your business through branding. Our listeners are uh, small business owners, entrepreneurs, real estate agents, financial advisors. In a way, they are their entire brand, right? They are their brand. Talk a little bit about how you've done that. And was that, you know, one of the primary drivers of your success was kind of creating this brand around what you can teach and how you, how you've built that over your career? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, brand is everything in business. A lot of people that start a business, they, you know, they are the brand. It's, you know, it's my business. I'm a solopreneur. That's not the brand. I see that you're using a Mac. That Apple on the back of your laptop is worth more than the entire company. It is their logo. It stands mm. for Apple computers. The swoosh is worth more than Nike. The Golden Archers, that brand, everyone knows that's McDonald's right down the highway. So I learned about branding by actually raising hundreds of millions for one of the most successful real estate entrepreneurs I've ever met. This guy today runs, I think, the fifth largest self storage company in the United States and he's number one in the Canadian market. And when I was with him, he had built a portfolio of real estate and the name of the company was smart stop self storage. Many of your listeners might have smart stop self storage uh, in their communities. And he had acquired a portfolio of about 350, maybe $400 million in real estate. And it was now time to sell that, to create a monetization event where he could create liquidity and pay all of his investors back. And so he gets a phone call from one of the largest operators and they said, you know, Hey, we're very interested in buying your portfolio. Michael would love to have you come speak to us. So they did. He went up there with his you know, staff and they offered him $900 million cash. He's like, wow, I've hit the jackpot here, but you know, being a responsible CEO and an obligation, to speak to his board of directors, he, you know, asked, you know, if he could have a couple of days. They said, sure. Literally, this is true. A couple of days later, he gets another call from another major competitor that said, hey, we heard you're in the market. We'd like to fly you out and talk to you. So he flies out to meet them, and the offer was $1.4 billion. That's $500 million. And he's sitting there going like, what did they see that these other people missed? Mm. Like, you know, if it was 20 million, 50 million, no big deal, but 500 million difference. So just casually, he asked the CEO of this other company, he said, I got to ask you a question. We have another offer that we're entertaining. Your offer is a little bit bigger than theirs, not going to disclose by how much, but what do you see in the real estate portfolio that they missed? He said, Michael, we're not buying your portfolio or the real estate. We're buying your brand. Mm. We're buying the name Smart Stop, a safe place to store. Every single door on every unit you own in the United States is a navy blue. What color are the doors on public storage? Orange. He's like, they're orange. <laughs> so you already knew the answer right there. What color are the doors on all of the extra space units? Green. He said, Michael, we're not buying your real estate. We're buying the brand. Hmm. And his mind just exploded. He's like, brand is everything. So the funny thing is he had already started buying and investing in student housing. 
on major campuses across the United States. And what he quickly realized is if he could brand that portfolio like he did in storage, when he went to sell, the value of the brand would be worth way more than the underlying real estate. So he sat down with his team and they came up with a real great name for student housing portfolio. And the name of that brand is called Union Student Housing. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing. It's spelled Y-O-U-N-I-O-N. And the tagline for the brand is, it's all about you. So imagine you're on a college campus, you're looking for a place to live. You see this big brand, Union, and it's a beautiful building. They got great you know, amenities. It's all about you. He's all into branded real estate. And so when I heard that he got paid 500 million more, I'm thinking to myself, man, when I start my business, I got to build it around the brand and the logo. And I think that's what's allowed us to scale quickly is our little recognizable vault, Capital School. That vault, which is our logo, is now recognized globally. And what people realize when they hire us to coach and or mentor them, it's that they're dealing with the number one recognized brand in the world to teach that. And that's what I think separates me apart from all of the other people that are in the real estate or the capital raising space. It's that we branded the business. Yeah. And with that brand come certain assumptions by the consumer. They're going to teach me. They've systematized right. it, right? They've got it structured. And so, you know, for all of your business owners that are listeners, recognize that the brand over time will grow to become worth more than the business. And if you ever choose to sell the business, like Michael did, you'll actually be able to sell at a significant premium. Well, I think like the key point uh, that you're getting at is it's really what the brand represents to the consumer. It's like the logo represents something. It's not the logo itself. It could be whatever. People change. Yeah. People change their logos all day long. It's the, it's what that actually represents that equity that's been built up over time. Like you said, because of the processes, the systems, the delivering to clients, the word of mouth referrals, whatever, right? It's this equity that's been built up. And it is true because I think of my brother's real estate business. And in the beginning, it's, you know, Steven and his brand, like it is him because he, it's all they know. Like the equity they have is with his personal relationship. Mm -hmm. But if he does his job, like you're saying, over time, he makes Acre Brothers real estate into a household name that, hey, if you go to Acre Brothers, they care about you. If you go to Acre Brothers, they make sure you get the best deal and you don't get ripped off. If you go to Acre Brothers, whatever his things are, like that is what Acre Brothers becomes. And it becomes so much bigger than just Steven himself and hence more valuable. Like you're saying. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely correct. It's what that brand represents and stands for over time as you build that. And of course, you know, it it becomes recognized whether it's in your community, whether it's in a geographic region, or whether of course for many businesses, it's global. Do you want a larger presence on social media? Of course you do because that's where your audience is. Check out Reminder Media's newest product, Branded Posts, specially designed to increase your presence on social media without increasing your effort. 
Choose from thousands of already written blog posts on topics your clients care about like real estate, travel, and recipes. And the best part is these are branded with your photo and contact information and ready to be shared. Plus, every two weeks, we'll send to your list of contacts a personally branded email newsletter filled with recipes, stories, and ideas that they will love to get. Visit ReminderMedia.com posts to see our newest digital product and start dominating your social media. That's ReminderMedia.com posts. Take action on this today. So talk about like, cause I know brand also plays into right. Raising money and stuff. You can raise more money if you have a credible brand, but I'm more curious to go the no name person who's trying to, to raise some money, right? Maybe you want to do some real estate investing. Like we have a ton of real estate agents, right? That listen to this. Yeah. Maybe you have a house that you're looking at right now and going, Oh, if I just had the 50 grand to flip <laughs> this house, I could make a hundred grand on this. Like yeah. how does a business person go and find investors and then how does, should they approach that call or approach that pitch to the investor? You know, one mistake I see so many people make is they don't spend time creating or crafting their elevator pitch. And if you understand the purpose of a good elevator pitch, it's to really articulate and communicate to people what you do, but it's really to create a pitch that inspires them and leaves them with the desire to go deeper with you. You see, the mistake a lot of people make when they're approached and somebody says, what do you do for a living, is they tell them, I'm a CPA, or I'm an attorney, or you know, I'm a real estate investor, or a real estate agent. Well, if that person is already working with somebody that fills that need for them, there's really no compelling reason for them to move forward with you, to get to go deeper with you. And so I sat back, many years ago when I realized my job is to get investors to inspire them to go deeper with me. And now when people approach me at a networking event or at a social and I'm asked, Brad, what do you do for a living? My answer is I'm a freedom consultant. Mm. <laughs> and they look at me like a deer in the headlights because they've never heard this one before. And I just look back nonchalantly and I go, you're probably wondering what a freedom consultant does. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm a real estate entrepreneur. And what I do is I teach other people how to invest passively in real estate so they no longer have to exchange their time for money. Matter of fact, next week, I'm doing a free webinar on that very subject. Is that something perhaps you'd like to learn more about? The answer 100% of the time is yes. Hmm. But you see, it starts with crafting your message and really getting that hook. Now, the other big mistake people make is they don't understand that to raise capital you need, of course, to establish trust. We live in a very distrustful world today. And most of the people pitch or they talk about the investment opportunity way too prematurely in the process. Mm. Think of raising capital as a four-step process. The four-step blueprint is one of the key fundamental concepts that I coach on. And once people understand this, they start seeing success. There is an introduction or that person is making a perception of you the first time you meet. From there, you go to asking that person questions in a conversational nature to find out what their temptation is, what will ultimately lead them to invest with you. But then you've got to validate they trust you enough before you pitch, otherwise you're just largely wasting your time. So first call, second call the follow-up, validate they trust you, go to the pitch, which is on the third call, and then hopefully close them 
on the fourth meeting or in the fourth conversation. And it's just a process. But once you understand some of these systems and some of these concepts, raising capital can become actually very easy once you get in front of the right person. So the question becomes, well, who's the right person? It's really anybody with discretionary income that makes, you know, six figures that realizes their money has to be working for them. It's just not sitting in a bank. But I think once you craft a message that basically is like a fish on a hook when you're fishing that captures people's attention and moves them to want to go deeper with you, that's really where that process starts. Where do you even go to, to find that person, that person that has the discretionary income? Like, how do you even start that? You know, in every major city, there are investor clubs. If you just go to Google and you want to, for example, you know, get into a stock investing club that meets once a month to talk about what? The stock market. Or you want to join a crypto club. Or you want to join a real estate club. Just go to Google or go to Eventbrite. And there's all these clubs that I guarantee are meeting in your city once a month. And by definition, everybody at that club or at that meeting has said, I'm an investor. (laughs) That's why I'm here. Now, it might be that you're in real estate and this is a stock club, but, you know, once people learn what you do, once you bait that hook, once they're smart enough to realize they need to diversify Hmm. to to spread out the risk, you start having conversations with people that ultimately then open up their checkbooks. So one easy way to get in front of investors is just to go to investor meetups and investor clubs. Another is you can buy a list. People don't realize that there are companies that serve the financial services industry. How do you think a lot of stockbrokers and financial advisors build their book of business? They buy a list of affluent, wealthy households, names, Mm. addresses, telephone numbers, et cetera. And so you can initiate outreach that way. One of the things I do with regularity is I go to the Starbucks that resides in the wealthiest part of Houston, Texas, right in the heart of River Oaks, and in the morning, people are driving up, and guess what? Bentleys, Rolls Royces, big Mercedes, Lamborghinis. And I just turn to people every now and then say, hey, can I treat you to a cup of coffee today? And they're, oh, sure, man. And I ask them, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a CEO. What do you do? And I use my bait. <laughs> I'm a freedom consultant. And I've literally walked out of the Starbucks in the wealthiest part of town with business cards to people that literally are worth that hundreds of millions awesome. of dollars. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's a secret. But see, if you think outside the box of where to go to meet these people, it's really not that difficult. Yeah, I said smart, to myself yeah. years ago, how do I get in the front door of the biggest, wealthiest families in town? And I realized there's a Starbucks right in the center of that community. If I just go there and treat people to cups of coffee, they will ingratiate themselves mm. to me, feel a sense of obligation to meet with me, and boom, you raise millions. So how do you deal with the failure? Obviously, you I'm, I'm assuming you've probably heard more no's than yeses over the course oh, of your absolutely. career, maybe not. But how do you how do you kind of deal with the failure and and keep going? You know, you have to understand that it is sales. You're selling yourself, you're selling the business, you're selling the opportunity, no doubt about it, it is sales. But here's the thing. I think that as an entrepreneur, you have to have grit, you have to have tenacity, but you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing every day. You see, I heard a gentleman speak a few years ago, and Matt runs a couple of businesses that do over $100 million a year. 
And he said, look, as an entrepreneur, man, you're going to get kicked in the shins. You're going to get punched in the gut, but you got to keep getting back up each and every day. And he said, a lot of people just don't have the ability to do that, man. You know, they, they, they hang up, they give up, whatever. And so I call it, you really need to understand what your purpose is, why you're doing what it is you're doing. For me, it's to create wealth. Mm. I want to be the shoulder that everybody in my family can turn to when times get tough. I want to create a legacy for my daughter. And so I want to become a philanthropist and be able to write big checks to universities and to medical schools. Mm. So I get up every day for that purpose that drives me. And I think that's largely what it is. I ask people all the time when I speak from stage, why do you get up and do what you do every day? And the answer I get is like, cause I have to, I got a job. I got a show. No, that's not why you're waking up every day. Your employer really doesn't care whether you show up or not. If you don't, he'll let you go. But why? And it's really understanding what that purpose in life is that's deeper. And so that's really, for me, on the failures, I just, you know, pick up the phone yeah. and I just call the next person. My attitude is some will, some won't, so what, who's next in line? <laughs> yes, some that, will, some There's always going to be somebody so to talk to that will buy. So the question is, you know, are you willing to pick up the phone and make that next call? If you're in sales and you realize that every failure is getting you closer to a yes, and you adopt that attitude. I mean, look at Colonel Sanders. We all know that story, right? How many yeah. times did he tell his story? Same thing with Thomas Edison on the invention of a light bulb. Yeah. You have to fail forward mm. is how I look at it. And I might fail three times. I might fail five times. But I know that each time I fail, I'm getting closer to that next yes. Mm. Incredible story, Brad. So I just want to ask yeah. one question from the investor side, Yes. right? Because we do some investing. What's the main, and I know it's hard to summarize maybe in just one question, but as an investor investing in people who want capital, mm -hmm. what's one of the main things you would look for in the person you're investing in or the business? Or it, would you look at the numbers of the deal more importantly than the person, or would you look at the person and how would you vet that person? And I know that's a really deep question, but I just yeah. would love your gut answer there. You know, it's a great question. And, um, I think the deal logically has to make sense, but what I have learned over, you know, the last 25, 30 years, raising hundreds of millions is people invest in people. The decision to invest with somebody is an emotional decision. It comes from the heart. And I know this to be true for this reason. I have personally sat in hundreds of meetings where I brought the investor and I said, Luke, I want you to meet Bobby. Bobby just sold this business. He's sitting on a pot of gold. Bobby, I want you to meet Luke. Luke has a great, phenomenal business. And so, you know, you'll pitch your deal. And the investor will sit there and look at you and say, Luke, I got to be honest, man. This is something that is so outside the realm of anything I would ever invest in. But I like you, and I think you and the team of people you've built around you are going to be real successful at this. So what are the next steps in us moving forward? Well, what does that tell you? It tells you they're investing in you, not necessarily the business. Now, after they write a big check, they then justify that emotional decision logically. Mm -hmm. But the emotion always comes before the logic, nine out of ten times when people invest. So I look for, are they trustworthy? Do they have good intentions? Do I think that they will operate as a fiduciary and treat my money as if it, there was their own? And if the answer to those things are yes, 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 then I move forward. But here's what I've learned in the years I've done business. People will go into a business relationship with good intentions. 
But sometimes bad things do happen to good people. For example, if you had invested with somebody a year before COVID, are they a bad person because they had to close the doors to their business? No, that was completely unforeseen. Sure. It's really how people react to that. What is the communication? What is the transparency? Or are they just running and hiding out of embarrassment where like you're wondering, like, what the hell is going on here? So a lot of it just is really understanding whether they're a person of integrity because, you know, at the end of the day, business is fluid. We all know that certain industries are very cyclical, right? We know that there are things sometimes that are well beyond our control that just throw the underwriting completely out the window. So at the end of the day, it really comes back to that person and just getting to know that person over time. So good. Brad, thanks for being here. Before we close out, though, let people know how they can connect with you, learn more about your school. Yeah, absolutely. Just check us out online, uh, bradblazar.com. I'll have information on all my books, have information on our podcast or on our coaching program. Just realize the last name has no ease. I'm not like a four-wheel drive that Chevrolet used to manufacture. It's Brad Blazar, B-L-A-Z-A-R, or better yet, just uh, shoot us an email, info at bradblazar.com, and uh, we monitor those emails throughout the day, and me or one of my team members will get right back in touch with you. Awesome. Thanks again for being here, and thank you all so much for listening. You can dive deeper into this episode, get the show notes. We'll include those links as well that Brad gave out over at staypaidpodcast.com, and while you're there, you can find the videos for all of our episodes as well. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your support, uh, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review along with a comment to let us know how we're doing, and the best way to show your support is to simply share this episode with a friend. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast.remindermedia.com. And of course, you can find us on social media. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, I'm Luke Acree. Brad, thank you so much. That was awesome, man. I feel like I could just continue to talk to you forever. Um, so my action item for the, the team here, I think that um, everybody listening to this, if you think about your pitch at a networking event, like that's something very practical that you can work on. And don't just explain that you're the CPA, right? You're just the accountant, right? How can you make your pitch where you're the freedom consultant, where you hook them in with curiosity and you deliver, go back and listen to this podcast again and listen to how Brad did that and then apply that to your 15 second elevator pitch. Remember the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single business is top producers take action. Take action on that today.